heard a story about a Sunday school teacher who was talking to her kids in class about heaven and about how Jesus is the only way to heaven. And so she asked them, she said, so if I sold my house and I sold my car and I sold all my stuff and I had this big garage sale and I gave it all to the church and all away, would that get me into heaven? And the children said, no, that wouldn't get you into heaven. She said, well, what if I, if I cleaned the church every day and I mowed the yard and I kept everything neat and tidy and I helped out all around doing everything I could, would that get me into heaven? And again, the kids answered no. And she continued, well, then how can I get into heaven? And she's thinking that, oh, you know, as she's talked about, Jesus is the way to heaven. She's thinking that they're going to give that answer. And one little boy raised his hand and said, I know, I know, you've got to be dead to get into heaven. So <laughs> that is true. That is true. But it's also a reality that we often struggle with. And so we're going to talk about that reality a little bit this morning because we feel this pull of eternity, this pull of forever and ever with God and, and what is coming next and the next life, this pull of, of heaven, and yet we also feel the pull in so many ways of this world and this life. It's like the old country song that says, I want to go to heaven, but you know the other part, but I don't want to go tonight, right? I do want to go to heaven, but, but am, I, am I completely ready? And there's this, this pull, this, this mutual Paul. I'm reminded of the Apostle Paul's words in the book of Philippians. He's in prison and he's thinking about his future. And he writes these words in Philippians chapter 1 verses 21 through 24. He says, for me, for to me, living means living for Christ and dying. Well, that's even better. But if I live, I could be more fruitful or be, do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. But for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live. Paul says, I'm in this reality where I can do a lot of kingdom good in this life. I can do a lot of things for Jesus, a lot of things for the kingdom, but I long for a different reality. He says, I long to go and be with Christ. And I got to thinking this week, what, what do I long for? And so I ask you that question. What, what do you long for? Maybe for some of you, it is a Lions victory this afternoon, right? You know, or a many number of things, right, that, that we long for, that we yearn for, that we seek after. And if I'm being honest, far too often the things that I long for, they're not necessarily bad, but they're often shallow, probably a little bit selfish, probably sometimes a lot selfish, and oftentimes are rooted in this world and my desires in this world. Can I say, can I truly say, though, that I long to go and be with Christ? Paul's words convict me. Can I say that? It doesn't mean that I, I don't long to do good things here, but can I truly say that's my goal? Or is my goal about the things on this earth, the things that, that get me somewhere, accumulating stuff, whatever it may be? What is my goal? What do I long for? You see, Paul understood that we are in this world, but we are not of this world. Our treasure, our hope, our, our, our kingdom, our goals are not of this world. And we've got to embrace this tension. We live this kind of what we might call holy discontent. Because this reality is not the reality we truly Want. Now, that doesn't mean that we whine or complain, but it does mean, and Scripture confirms this, it does mean that we groan. We, we long, we yearn 
for something more, for something better. We long, to put it frankly, for home, for the home that we were meant for. And by the way, we're commanded to think about home. Again, this is Paul, again from prison. He says this in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Now, that doesn't mean that things can't be thought about as far as what needs to be done, but that, that, that's not what drives us. That's not what motivates us. That's not what consumes our thoughts and our passions. Because here's the deal. One of the enemy's chief strategies is to get us to set our sights on realities, on earthly realities, that we hope, that, that, that so often they promise, will, will fill that ache, that deep yearning inside of our souls, and yet they never deliver. There is nothing in this world, no amount of money, no amount of stuff, no title, no vice, no pleasure, no whatever, fill in the blank. Nothing in this world that can satisfy that desire that is deep inside each of us. I think about, C.S. Lewis said a lot of things well, but I think he really said this well when he wrote in his book, In Mere Christianity. He said, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for these desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such a thing as water. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can truly satisfy, then the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. I think he's absolutely right. I love that thought. And I really do believe that. There's something inside of us that yearns, that longs, and that's never going to be satisfied in this current reality, no matter how much we try to fill it. And we sure do try to fill it. And so here's what I want us to get when it comes to our lesson today. And this is what we're going to build off and from. And it's this, that we need to long for what we are made for. We need to long for what we are made for. For, that we shouldn't settle for, well, it is what it is. No, we should have something deep inside of us, deep in our spirit that yearns not for it is what it is, but for what it ought to be. Scripture says that we are a, we are di- a displaced people. We are aliens. We are strangers in this world. And we refuse to believe that it doesn't get any better than this. And so we live, again, with this holy discontent. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 8. He says in verses 22 and 23, For we know (coughs) that all creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. And we believers also groan. Again, we don't complain. We don't whine. We don't argue. But we do groan. We do groan. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised to us. You hear what Paul is saying? That we don't just settle for what is, but we long for what ought to be. So I just want to share with you some things that Scripture says we ought to be longing for as followers of Jesus. And let's just start with the first thing that Paul mentions. We long for a release from fallenness. 
We long to be released from the fallen nature of this world that we live in. Paul says we long to be released from sin. Our bodies long to be released from sin and suffering. And here's the thing. Maybe you've thought about this. Maybe you haven't. We've never known a reality without sin and suffering. In this world, we have never known a reality without sin and suffering. Now, we've known the realities of, 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 of marks of heaven, but we've never known a reality in this world without sin and suffering. And so if we're not careful, it can start to feel a little more normal than it should. That death and decay can just kind of seem ordinary. But the closer I get to Jesus, the more I realize how far this world has fallen. I think about a story in uh, John chapter 11. Jesus gets word that his friend Lazarus has died. You remember that story? And so he goes and he gets to the tomb. And you remember what happens? I mean, some of you memorize this verse because it's the shortest verse in the Bible, right? Um, that Jesus, what? He wept. Like, and that's not just like Jesus shed a couple tears. Like, he, he, he deeply wept. And, and, and I think there's a humanity that's, that's there that, that is uh, a beautiful picture of who Jesus was. But there's also a sense in which, if you know the end of the story, it's like, Jesus, why are you crying? You're about to raise him from the dead. If you know the end of the story, he does raise Lazarus from the dead, right? And so, Jesus, why are, why are you crying over that? And, and I can't help but wonder, uh, certainly there is an element where he is mourning over his friend and mourning with his other friends who have lost someone that they love, but I think in that moment, in many ways, Jesus felt deep in his spirit the impact of the curse. He knew better than anyone that this world is not what we were meant for. This world is not what we were made for. He saw the devastation and the mourning and the grief and the sadness that this curse has brought to this world. And Jesus, I think, mourned over that reality. He mourned over a cursed world. Because listen, death was never meant to be normal. Now, we live in a world that death is normal, but it wasn't meant to be normal. Normal is supposed to be no sickness and no crime and no pollution and no cemeteries and no chemo and no divorce papers and no wars and no, the list goes on and on, right? But too often, we're like the children of Israel. You read about them in the Old Testament when they, they escape from Egypt. God you know, gets them out of Egypt. They've been delivered from the slavery and the bondage, and they're invited by God to step into a future, a new future, a better future, a better home. And you know what they do? They complain, and they want to go back to bondage, to slavery. They long to go back because bondage felt like normal to them. And I wonder how much we are like them sometimes. We set our hearts, we set our affections on a world that can never deliver. It can only give us bondage. And we weren't designed for this. We weren't designed in the image of God. You were designed in the image of God. You were not designed in the image of God to live in this kind of world. And by the way, God gives us his Holy Spirit to help us remember this. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. And here's what he did. He anointed us. He set his seal of ownership on us. And he put his spirit in our hearts. Why? A lot of reasons, but in particular, 
as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. That the Holy Spirit is God's gift to us to keep us yearning and longing for what ought to be. And so we long to be released from the fallenness of creation, but also if we're honest, and if I'm being honest, I long to be released from my own fallenness, from my own brokenness. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you are just tired of the constant battle, the constant pull of doing what is right and not doing what is right? I long to be released from that. And yes, I know the Holy Spirit is producing fruit in me. I know he's changing me and growing me and shaping me and molding me into the image of his son, Jesus Christ, but that work is not perfected yet. And that battle with the pull of sin is still very present in my life, and I'm guessing it is in yours. I know I don't love people as well as I should. I know my mind goes to places that I don't want it to go at times. I know that there are words that come out of my mouth that I want to take them back as soon as I say them. And I long for the day when I will love everybody as easily as Jesus loves them. When I, will, when I will speak words and they, they won't sometimes be this or sometimes be, but they will always be full of grace and truth. I long for the day when my mind will only entertain thoughts that are good and noble and pure. I long to be released from my brokenness, to be released from this fallen world. We live in a world that is just too fallen to ever feel like home, or at least it should We were made for something better. And so we long for a release from that fallenness. And secondly, we long for a removal of loneliness. You know, studies show that about all the things that are going on, and certainly we remember what happened four years ago and still feeling some of the effects of that, of the the pandemic that, that we have experienced in our country. And certainly there have been pandemics that have come and gone as well. But studies show that the biggest epidemic in our society of all the things that are going in our, on in our world and in our country in particular, you know what the biggest epidemic is? Loneliness. Loneliness. We live in perhaps what is the most, it's not perhaps, we live in the most connected world and society in the history of history, right? As far as uh, social media and uh, ele- electronic devices and cell phones and internet and all the things that we can just be connected to anywhere, to anyone, at any time, pretty much. And yet, and yet, we live in the most disconnected society in the history of history when it comes to our relationships with each other and meaningful connections and interactions. And so it's no wonder that nearly one in five Americans feels significant loneliness. And nearly three in five Americans experience some level of loneliness on a regular basis. I can't have a wonder if that number is probably too low. It's also not a surprise that suicide rates have gone up exponentially year after year after year, and they reach all-time highs. We're setting all-time highs every single year, especially among young people. I don't think I need to tell you that's not what we were meant to live like. That's not the world we were meant to live in. God said all the way back in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. He said a lot of things, but this is such an interesting, and we're not going to camp here a long time, but I, I do, like, I want to draw this out for just a moment. He says it's not good for man to be alone. 
It's not good for man to be alone. By the way, he said that before the fall. Before sin ever entered the world, God says, it's not good for man to be alone. It's, it's, it is the highest relationship you can have is with God, but God also says, that's not the only relationship I want you to have. That I, I am, I've made you, designed you to be in relationship with me and also with each other. <clears throat> I think that's also why in the last two chapters of the Bible in Revelation, when it talks about our new home, which we'll talk about in, in uh, coming lessons, new heaven, new earth, a new heaven and new earth is called um, a city 15 times, the holy city oftentimes. And not just there, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 14 says, for, there, for here, for, like in this world right now, we don't have an enduring city. Now, I, I, some of you love big cities, right? I don't care how much you love Chicago or LA or New York or Boston or Paris or London or Detroit or whatever. I don't care how much you... Those cities are not going to endure. There is no city in this world that will endure. It won't last. And so we're looking for the city that is to come. And I think one of the things this idea is underscoring, this idea of, of a city, uh, uh, is, is that heavenly life is going to be communal life. It's meant to be communal. Earthly life was meant to be communal life. So how much more is heavenly life meant to be? Now, I want to be clear. All you introverts probably are freaking out on me right now, okay? Uh, Bible does say, Jesus does say, in my house are many rooms, okay? So maybe you'll get your own room. You can go to your own room, have a little alone time. I'm sure God's going to give you that. But heavenly life is meant to be communal life. It's meant to be done in relationship and connection with other because that's how we were made. We were made to thrive in relationship and connection with one another. I so look forward to that. I look forward to that. I look forward to the reunion. We talked about this a little bit on Wednesday nights. One of the biggest words I think of when I think about heaven is reunion. I, I, I look forward to the reunion that heaven will be, certainly with family and friends, with you. But I also, like, I think about it in, in bigger terms. Like, I look forward to meeting and talking with these heroes of faith that we read about. Like, how cool is it going to be, <coughs> excuse me, to sit down and talk theology with, like, Peter or Paul? How cool is it going to be to talk to Stephen about, like, what is it like to be martyred for Jesus, to stand up like that in your faith? Think about heroes of, of old and, and even heroes up until this point, right? Corey Ten Boom and others who, who, have, who have given their lives in service to the kingdom and their stories and the stories that they might tell. And we know some of them, but to sit and talk with them, what an incredible uh, you know, meeting and reunion that will be. I look forward to meeting the people that, that had an impact on me that I never knew. People that helped bring my family to Jesus. My parents and their parents and their, Right? I look forward to meeting the people that raised the people that raised the people that raised the people that started this church and other churches that I've been a part of. Like, how cool is that to think about, that reunion that it will be? I look forward to meeting the people that I might have the blessing and grace of being able to impact that I may never meet. How cool is that to think about? I mean, just think about what an amazing reunion heaven is going to be. And when I think about that reality... I can't help but be reminded of what Scripture says, that one of the things that heaven is going to be is a feast, a huge feast. We're going to eat potluck. That is not even going to come, not even a blimp on the radar to what heaven's going to be. Because you can't have a reunion without food, right? Like, I mean, let's be honest. 
You can't have a reunion without some good food to go along with it. But you know, most of all, I long to see who's going to be sitting at the head of the table. Because what I long for most is a return to closeness. Here's what I mean by that. We were created. We were created for intimacy with each other. But we were created first and foremost for intimacy with our Heavenly Father. When God created Eden, it was a place where he could dwell and human beings could dwell. They literally walked with God. And they experienced such close fellowship. And of all the things we lost when we lost Eden was closeness with God. That was perhaps the worst. I love what the prophet Isaiah, I don't love it, but it's, I, I, it's, it's a good reminder. Prophet Isaiah has this powerful word in Isaiah chapter 59, verse 2. He says, your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins, listen to this part, your sins have hidden his face from you. That's what sin has done. Among other things, it has separated us from being able to see God clearly. Clouded our vision of who he is and, 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 and stunted the, re, the amount of relationship we can have with him. And yes, I know we have Jesus as the representation of God. And yes, I know we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us to help us connect with God. But still in this fallen world and in these fallen bodies, there's just a dimension of intimacy with God that we cannot know. We will never know this side of eternity. That's why we long for the curse to be removed. It's also why we worship and praise our Lord and Savior, Jesus, because he came to do something about that. His name literally means God saves. He came to save us from our sins, to take the curse upon himself, to deal with what keeps us from seeing the face of God. (coughs) His death and resurrection have freed us from the penalty of sin. His spirit now living inside of us, is freeing us from the power of sin, and his return will forever one day liberate us from the presence of sin. And with his return will come the world that you and I were made for. So let's go to the end of the Bible, Revelation chapter 21. John says this in verses 2 and 3. I saw the holy city, there's that that city uh, imagery and, and picture, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among his people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. And look at the very next chapter. It gets even better. Revelation chapter 22, verses three and four. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him or worship him. And watch this. They will see his face. I think it's significant that when John describes that holy city, he describes this this huge space, but it's a perfect cube. Now that may not mean a whole lot to us, but if you're a Jew, you would have understood the imagery right away. Oh, the the holy of holies in the temple. That was a perfect cube. So hold, hold on, we're drawing this imagery out. And again, we, we might miss some of this, but like, like this is very clear to them and hopefully it can be clear to us. Uh, the Holy of Holies, this place in the Jewish temple where God's presence dwelt, the literal, literally the, God, the heaven and earth come to meet, perfect cube. In essence, what John is saying is that our future home, God's presence is gonna be everywhere, not just in a little room but everywhere. It's going to fill every nook and cranny, every corner. 
The whole city is going to be his temple and God is going to reside with his people. It is the home that you were made for. And I hope you're longing for it. I hope you're longing for what you were made for. Reminds me of a story I heard about an older gentleman who was walking in the park and saw a young boy with, uh, is holding a string in his hand and string was going up into the clouds and couldn't see what was on the end of the string. And so the, young, or the old man asked the young boy, he said, what are you doing? The young boy said, I'm flying a kite. The man said, well, how do you know the kite's up there? And the boy said, I know it's there because I can feel its pull. And that's how we feel about home. We know it's there. We can feel the pull. And so Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18, we fix our eyes not on what, it, what we see, but on what, but on what is unseen. Because what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. We long for what we are made for. And then lastly, because of that church, we ought to ask for what we long for. If we truly do long for it, we ought to be asking for it. And not just one day, but here. Jesus taught us to pray. Remember what he taught us to pray, among other things? Your kingdom come, your will be done, where? On earth, as it is in heaven. And I hope we understand that prayer is more than just a petition. That prayer is an offering. We're offering ourselves to God, to his kingdom, to his will, to his purposes. We're asking God to use us in this world and to give this world a foretaste of heaven. You see, one day, one day, there's not going to be any illness. Amen? But today, we help the sick. We do that because we, do, we live in a world that has it, and so we help the sick. One day, there's not going to be any hunger, but today, we help feed the hungry. One day, there's not going to be any poverty, but today, we serve the poor. One day, there's not going to be any loneliness, but today, we reach out and we, we connect with those who feel lost and alone and isolated. One day, there's not going to be any sin, but today, we pursue holiness. And so that's what we ought to be doing right now. We ought to be giving the world a preview of coming attractions. We ought to be embodying. We ought to be displaying. We ought to be giving the, a glimpse of our future. We ought to be practicing for what's coming. And so church, let's long for what we're made for. And let's ask for what we long for as we eagerly await the day when our longings will become a glorious reality. And then, here's the good part. We won't need to long for home. We will be 